Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. Welcome to our show tonight. Uh, this is Polygamy, What Love Is This? And I am your host, Doris Hansen. We're grateful that you have chosen to spend an hour of your time with us this evening. Uh, before we get started, I'd like to remind all of our viewers again that everyone uh, who is participating in the show and the production and the broadcast uh, of this program are all volunteers. None of us get paid a dime or a dollar for any of the work that we do. And we are encouraged every week when we hear from some of our viewers how they have been helped by the program to find truth uh, through some of the things that we present. And we thank everyone who donates prayer time for our efforts. And if God is nudging you to help with our broadcast expenses, you can go on our website, whatloveisthis.tv, and you can click on, click on the button, keep us on the air with a donation. And of course, all funds that are donated in this way will go directly to broadcasting the show. And we wanted to thank everyone uh, who does help us as we bring biblical truths to this culture. Our guest co-host, uh, former Mormon Bishop Earl Erskine is again here tonight. Thanks, <laughs> Thanks again for, for coming back. Appreciate you me. <laughs> Hope you're not a brute for punishment here, like we said. But anyway, it's nice to have you back. And Thanks. and Appreciate and since we've invited you to share uh, as a co-host, uh, we've had some remarks. <laughs> Most of the remarks have been from either Mormons or ex-Mormons, and they say they can't respect you, not necessarily because you left the church, but because you left the church and then you're starting to yap about it and so in their eyes they think it's wrong for you to come public with the reasons that you did leave the church so although we really don't feel obliged to apologize for what we do we certainly do want our critics to know and to try to understand why we do what we do so would you explain to our viewers why you do come out publicly uh, like you have speaking not against the Mormons, but against the Mormon belief system. And, and I'd also like to say right here that, and before you start, that none of us on this show are anti-Mormon. We are not anti-polygamist. We are anti-false doctrine. We don't hate polygamists. We don't hate Mormons. We love them, but we fight against false doctrine because it's leading millions down the path so far away from the truth. No. So what are you, why are you doing it? Why am I doing it? Well, it's a, it is a good question, and I actually have had the question asked me before, uh, why do I continue to bash the church or <laughs> uh, why I can't leave it alone? And it is kind of an interesting, especially for Mormons who also do missionary work. But I've given it a little bit of thought, and I appreciate the heads up actually in thinking about this, because I made a few notes, and I'd like to kind of cover them real quickly, but I don't know if... if if the people realize that the uh, missionary parents out there are spending $25 million a month to send out their sons and daughters to tell people in the world that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is the only true church mm -hmm. and that it's the only way for them to get to heaven. So they don't call that bashing, I don't think. I think they call it sharing 
a message, and that's what we do. That's what we do. Um, and so it, it's just kind of interesting that they would have that concept, and they go out, spread the word, so to speak. But the main reasons that I do this, one is that God's commanded it. Yeah. Jude 1, 3, I, we might have a graphic on that, but the, the uh, Jude 1, 3, I'm sorry. I exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Kind of an interesting wording there, saints. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. but the other reason that I do it is I love the Mormon people, and I have a heart for the polygamists, those that are in polygamy. Mm -hmm. I want them to know who God is. I want them to be able to trust the Bible. Mm -hmm. I want them to, uh, to realize that the temple was used to shed the blood of animals, representing eventually the shed blood of Jesus and that uh, that was the purpose of temples. Mm -hmm. I raised my family in the church, so, uh, uh, you know, I've talked about that before and how difficult this has been because it, it's been such a traumatic kind of a thing. Yeah. But um, it's been joyful, and part of it is, is the excitement of learning new things. I've learned about the changes in the Book of Mormon. I've learned that Joseph Smith had 33 wives. And, and you want to share all that with other people, too. <laughs> and it is exciting. And, and that he married teenagers, and that he married women that were already married, and he did it all in the name of God. Yeah. So, you know, and, but I've always said that that's the bad news. Finding out the problems with Mormonism is the bad news. The good news is, is what the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about. Mm -hmm. Mormons believe that Jesus isn't enough, yeah. that he didn't do it all for us. We have to do it ourselves. And of course, Christianity believes that he is God mm -hmm. and that he, through his grace and his righteousness, we can stand justified before God. Right. Uh, and um, that he did and it that all. we'll live with him. Yeah. He that believeth in me hath everlasting life. So those are the reasons I share. It's not because I have any hatred toward the Mormons, right. but I've just learned these really quite exciting facts over the years. And I, like I say, I raised my family in the church and um, I'm just excited to be able to share truth. It's exciting to know the truth, isn't it? Yeah, After so it many is. years of being, uh, being led uh, down the wrong path and, and to find the truth. The, tr the truth is beautiful and it's it exciting is. and it's wonderful. Well, and, uh, and just a, one last thing is that I do feel like we're, we're blinded in Mormonism. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know that I was blind. That's right. what's so interesting about 65 years in the church yeah. with what I would consider a very strong testimony, very active, and yet I was blind. And, and, you know, and, and the Bible says, or Jesus said, the blind lead the blind. And I think That's that true. does describe this culture. That's true. But, but Jesus also heals the blind. Yeah. And we know that because we both were blind. We both uh, have been healed. We both yeah. can clearly see. And this culture does need to see. And uh, anybody who wants to step out like you did and, and, and seek the truth, um, you will be healed from your blindness. Uh, and, and what's interesting, too, is some of the folks that... That now, now before I say this, I have to be careful because there's a lot of people who have consigned me to the depths of hell. You know, lower than Satan's going. Oh yeah. And um, and they don't like what I'm doing. But some of them, even the people who even criticize you, like what I'm doing because I'm exposing polygamy, and uh, and that's okay with them to expose polygamy. But it's not okay for you to expose your background yeah. and yet we're both doing the same thing so why is there a different standard I don't know I felt that same way though when I was initially investigating and I was watching some of the programs on TV 20 it was easier to watch the polygamy program because 
it wasn't as threatening, I guess. It's because we polygamy is part of our history. Yeah, We've yeah. done away with it for a while, but polygamy is still part of uh, the LDS It is, and, and it's difficult for the polygamists to watch our show as it was for the Mormons to watch the the other stuff the other part of it so we we know that we are we are working with very sensitive situations yeah. here but we want everybody to know that we love them and we want them to know the truth more than anything um, and we must obey God uh, and God gave us the opportunity to speak and we must speak Ephesians chapter five verses eight uh, and ten through eleven and this should go on the screen too says for at one time you were darkness but now you are light in the Lord walk as children of light and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. And that's what we're doing. We, we once were blind and we once were in darkness. And now we can see, now we have the light of Jesus and the truth of the Bible. And, and so we don't have anything to do now with, um, with what we were, but, but we walk in the light. Um, and, and Romans 1.18, I think, is a good one I thought I would bring up as well, where it says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Oh. Doesn't that describe this culture? Yeah, the they don't want you to go out and learn anything. They don't. They no. don't. They suppress the truth. They know they're suppressing it. The leadership yeah. of the polygamy groups, the leadership of the LDS, they know they're hiding truth. And God calls that unrighteousness. And when there is a problem, they tend to tweak it to be, make it more acceptable some, mm -hmm. somehow or another. Yeah, they hide it. And, yeah. and, and then they, they have to cover their tracks and keep covering, keep covering. And, and then finally, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses, uh, or chapter 4, excuse me, verses 2 through 4 says, Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. And so we speak what their itching ears do not want to hear, and that's the truth of the gospel truth as it's in the Bible. And we're, we're, we're instead of instead of faith promoting myths like yeah. that, those scriptures said, we're speaking truth, and so we're criticized for it. Well, I was always impressed. One of the things that kind of was drew me out of the church was to go and just read the words of Jesus and then the words of Paul, hmm. where they didn't talk about temple work and yeah. marriage in the temple and right. and all those different things. This is a different gospel that, that, that we're listening to here, the gospel of Joseph Smith. That's, ex that's as right. So, so if doing this offends um, many people, and I'm sure that I speak for both of us on this, I'd rather offend our critics who don't like what we say than offend God by not doing what he's told us to do. And on Judgment Day, I hope there is no one that can look at me and say, you knew, why didn't you tell me? Okay, let's get into what our agenda <laughs> for the topic for the show is tonight. Joseph Smith and others of the early Mormon movement preached polygamy. That's what it's all about here on the show. Every one of them taught that polygamy was the way of the gods. It was the economy of heaven, they said, and it was the only way to exaltation in the celestial kingdom. Brigham Young promised damnation on those 
uh, who didn't live polygamy, and today's polygamy groups do the same thing. Joseph Smith promised destruction to Emma if she, and, and to others if they didn't agree to his polygamy. And, you know, it's strange that these women would flock to the beds of these married men for the sake of eternal life and the promise of becoming a goddess in the coming ages because they were told that it was okay to want to marry a married man. And all this is no different than most Mormon fundamentalists today. Uh, on this show, we have endeavored to impeach the characters of those early, early Mormon polygamous men. And we have used the Bible extensively to prove that God never did command or condone polygamy. And in making our case against the polygamy doctrine, we must necessarily question the reliability, the integrity, or uh, the, and the character of these men who preach polygamy or damnation, and every one of them have failed the biblical test. So they can't be trusted. The point being that, especially to our polygamous viewers, God doesn't want anyone to follow the commandments of men, and the Bible is clear that God didn't command polygamy, so you can walk away from it without fear, without guilt of, of displeasing God. So tonight we've chosen three events in the early history of Joseph Smith and his claims as a prophet translator that should cause doubt in any heart that seeks truth. And this information should provoke questions whether Joseph Smith could have been an honest, upright, true prophet <clears throat> of God. And let me remind you, it's your eternity and each person is responsible to find out for himself the truth of what you believe. And we pray that you will search for the truth as a result of our show tonight. Jesus said in John 18, verse 37, and I quote, For this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. So we want our viewers to stop listening to Joseph Smith and to begin listening to Jesus Christ. And the three, the, the three issues we're going to discuss tonight is the Kinderhook plates. Next we'll discuss Zelf. And then we're going to talk about the Greek Psalter incident if we have the time. Okay. <laughs> so the Kinderhook plates, I don't know how many are familiar. I didn't know about them until after long after I became a Christian. I didn't know anything yeah, about the Kinderhook plates. Well after I'd <coughs> read about it in Grant Palmer's book, actually, mm, but okay. I hadn't ever heard of the Kinderhook plates either. It was kind of, kind of an interesting story. A little uh, over a year before Joseph Smith was killed, and that would be in April of 1843, in a small town near kin Kinderhook, Illinois. I think that's right. why they're called Kinderhook plates. Right. Some brass plates were discovered. I think nine men were involved, and, and they were dug up from an Indian mound. And on those uh, plates, there was some strange and seemingly ancient engravings. And the discovery was so intriguing that they suggested the plates be taken to Joseph Smith for translation, and that's exactly what they did. So Joseph Smith couldn't have known, of course, that these plates were nothing more than a contemporary hoax purposely manufactured to expose him as a fraud. And that's what they were. They were bogus. When Joseph saw those plates, he said they were authentic ancient records. And I'll quote what he said. <clears throat> they found a skeleton about six feet from the surface of the earth which must have stood nine feet high. The plates were found on the breast of the skeleton and were covered on both sides with ancient characters. 
I have translated a portion of them and found they contain the history of the person with whom they were found. He was a descendant of Ham through the loins of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and that he received his kingdom from the ruler of heaven and earth. So that's what Joseph Smith said were on these plates. Did you notice the reference there, History of the Church? It's on History of the Church, <coughs> Volume 5. Volume 5, yeah. yeah. So, so, so they got that in their records. That this yeah. is what Joseph Smith did. Yeah. Now, he had a private secretary. Do you, do you want to share oh, the yeah, quote that, that, was, uh, that William, William Clayton? Clayton? Yeah, <coughs> and he, yes. was, he was a trusted man. He yeah. was, his, well, he was his, his personal secretary. Right. And he said, um, do we have that quote? Uh-huh. <coughs> Excuse me. I have seen six brass plates covered with ancient characters of language containing from 30 to 40 on each side of the plates. That's President Joseph, I think is mm -hmm. what that says, has yeah. translated a portion and says they contain the history of the person with whom they were found, and he is a descendant of Ham through the loins of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and that he received his kingdom from the ruler of heaven and earth. And that's from William Clayton's journal. And it's also cited in Trials of Discipleship and in uh, the History of the Church, yeah. Volume 5. So he's repeating what Joseph Smith said right. as being uh, translated part of the, yeah. of the plates and what was on them. And again, he was a, uh, his scribe, Joseph Smith's private secretary and trusted scribe. So we have to trust that, that Joseph Smith was agreeing with what he wrote. Then there's Parley P. Pratt in a letter to a friend on May 7th, <clears throat> of 1843, this is what he said. Six plates having the appearance of brass have lately been dug out of a mound by a gentleman in Pike County, Illinois. They are small and filled with engravings in Egyptian language and contain the genealogy of one of the ancient Jaredites back to the Ham, the son of Noah. <clears throat> a large number of citizens have seen them and compared the characters with those on the Egyptian papyrus, which is now in the city. <laughs> so we've quoted three people who must have heard the same story. <laughs> all heard the same, and they're all rely supposedly reliable, reliable people, people. For, as far as Joseph Smith is That's concerned, right. and, and as far as the organized church at the time was yeah. concerned. Now, um, later information came forward, however, that, that these plates were forgeries, uh, that they were purposely manufactured to test and expose Joseph Smith as a false translator of ancient languages. We have one of the plates there on the screen. And I don't know if that's the one that was found later. It might be. I think there's Probably one in is. the Chicago Historical Society. Those mm -hmm. are the those, those are, the, are the front and back of the six yeah, the six Kinderhook plates. And number five, I think, is the one is that's the in one the that, Chicago Historical right. Society. Uh -huh. Right. On on April twenty fifth of eighteen fifty six, several years later, do you want to share? W. P. Harris wrote sure. a letter where he admitted that the plates were not genuine plates. And the reason this didn't come up in, like until 1855, they were actually hoping and waiting for Joseph Smith to translate these into a book like he had done the Book of Abraham, is what I've read. Mm -hmm. And uh, Joseph, of course, was martyred within a year after all this, so he wasn't able to do that. But this quote from W.P. Harris, we should have that. Uh, mm -hmm. That should be on the screen. I was present with a number at or near Kinderhook and helped to dig wrong one. I'm sorry. There I is. was present <laughs> with a number at or near Kinderhook and helped to dig at, dig at the time the plates were found. I made an honest affidavit to the same. Since that time, Bridge Witten said to me that he cut and prepared the plates and that he and R. Willie engraved them themselves. Wilburn Fugit 
appeared to be the chief with R. Willie and B. Witten. And so the, he's admitting there were three people involved yeah. with setting Joseph Smith up with the false. That's right. With these false things. And, and on June 30th, 1879, W. Fugit, he wrote a letter um, admitting his part in the fraud. He said, I received your letter in regard to those plates and will say in answer that they are a humbug gotten up by Robert Wiley, Bridge Whitten, and myself. We read in Pratt's prophecy that truth is yet to spring out of the earth. We concluded to prove the prophecy by way of a joke. That's <laughs> so, funny, isn't it? Well, and it, the joke is on Joseph Smith. Yeah, he, he was such a character for being able to look at something and just automatically, spontaneously come to some grand conclusions. It always seemed like it was through the pharaohs or something, but it yeah, was yeah. always Egyptian characters or something. And, and yet the Egyptologists, <laughs> you know, tr the, they, they're... There is no such language no, as, as what they've done. Uh, now, the Kinderhook plates were lost during the Civil War, and uh, uh, many, many years later, decades later, uh, former pro pre professor of BYU, M. Wilford Polson, who was a student of early Mormon history, found one of the original Kinderhook plates, that's plate number five that you were talking about, in the Chicago yeah. Historical Society Museum. Oh, okay. And the plate that Polson found has been identified as plate number five, and except for an acid blotch on it, one side is in excellent condition. Um, and after a lot of research, Polson was convinced that it was a forgery. But the BYU press, the president of BYU Archaeological Society, was convinced that it was genuine. So a few years later, an LDS physicist named George Lawrence was given permission to uh, make some non-destructive physical studies of the surviving plate. And after the examination, he wrote... The dimensions, tolerances, composition, and workmanship are consistent with the facilities of an 1843 blackness shop and with the fraud stories of the original participants. <laughs> now, his tests were non-destructive, right. and that wasn't good enough. They wanted some destructive, some more solid testing right. done, and so they got permission to do that. The Ensign, do you have... Do you have that written? Because I you could read the Ensign article where Ensign. it reports what happened. It says, a recent electronic and chemical analysis of a metal plate brought in 1843 to the prophet Joseph Smith appears to, to solve a previously unanswered question in church history, helping to further evidence that the plate is what its producers later said it was, a 19th century attempt to lure Joseph Smith into making a translation of ancient-looking characters that had been etched into the plates. As a result of these tests, we conclude that the plate is not of ancient origin. But he said they were. And he said he was translating them. <laughs> and he, he translated part of them by yeah. saying who the person was mm -hmm. and, um, and where, how his, even his genealogy of yeah. who he was. Now, there's scores of people who are watching this and will watch the show in the future who's going to refuse to face the facts and they're going to scramble to make excuses for Joseph Smith even though there's more than enough <clears throat> evidence to convict him of false translations. And some folks say that he knew they were a fraud and that he didn't fall for their trickery and that he never translated the plates just like you just said. Yeah. And, th and then there's others who say that if he hadn't been killed, he would have had a full translation, just, just like you already said. But Joseph Smith 
William Clayton both Farley said, Farley P. Pratt both said that Smith had begun to translate the plates. And we repeat what Joseph Smith's private and trusted secretary said. He said, Smith has translated a portion and says they contain the history of the person with whom they were found. And he was a descendant of Ham through the loins of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and that he received his kingdom from the ruler of heaven and earth. <laughs> then the Nauvoo neighbor. Do you, yeah, have, do, you have, do you have that quote of what they yeah. said? So the contents of the plates, together with a facsimile of the same, will be published in the Times and Seasons as soon as the translation is completed. And that was in 1843. And that backs so up what you said. Like that he's going to translate Like it. the Book of Abraham. Yeah, just the same way. And so he, us, he, he that would, would have been interesting if he'd have been able to complete that. <laughs> well, and the Book of Abraham, of course, we know isn't a translation. That's no, already been proven, been proven to be a fraud, too. just like this is. So we have the Book of Abraham is not a translation. There's not a shred of evidence that the Book of Mormon is a translation. And we discovered that the Kinderhook plates were manufactured locally and at the same time period of Joseph Smith himself, and they succeeded to establish that Smith couldn't and did not translate any documents from any ancient records. And finally, did you have something to well, say? Well, just, just to, to interrupt, just a, uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls also prove that Joseph Smith's translation of the Bible has absolutely no basis in fact. That's Every, right. There's not one of his changes that were made that's supported by the Dead Sea Scrolls. That's so, exactly right. And that was before the plain and precious things were taken out, <laughs> presumably. <laughs> presumably, exactly. <laughs> and so uh, the final quote on the Kinderhook plates uh, is by critical author Charles A. Shook, and he said, only a bogus prophet translates bogus plates. <laughs> Okay, now we're going to talk about Zelf. What is a Zelf? <laughs> what is, who is a Zelf? <laughs> <laughs> who or what is a Zelf? Well, Joseph Smith wrote in his journal on June 3rd of 1834 that during his travels, he visited several mounds of, of ancient inhabitants in the country uh, near the Illinois River, and he found a high mound where they dug to about a foot below the surface of the ground and discovered a skeleton of a man uh, with, a, with a stone, kind of a, an arrow, an old arrow, uh, Lamanitish arrow, he said, stuck between the ribs of the skeleton. And then Joseph Smith said that they all had some kind of a peculiar sensation in their bosoms and subsequently visions of the past were open to his understanding and he discovered who this skeleton was. We'll let Earl tell you. <laughs> Joseph said that this is a white Lamanite, a large thick-set man and a man of God and his name was Zelf. He was a warrior and a chieftain <coughs> who was known from the Hill Cumorah or eastern sea to the Rocky Mountains. The curse was taken from Zelf, or at least in part, one of his thigh bones was broken by a stone thrown from a sling while in battle, years before his death. He was killed in battle by the arrow found among in his ribs during the last great struggle of the Lamanites and Nephites. And that's in the document, documentary history of the church. Of the church. Yeah. Um, and according to the Times and Seasons publication, Brigham Young took the arrowhead and then there were others who carried off the leg and thigh bones of the skeleton and, uh, for souvenirs. And I believe we have a picture of the skeleton there that they've put together. And um, this information is in History of the Church as well of, as Kimball's Journal and Times and Seasons. So we, you can see that, that this, is, this has all really happened. It's not stuff we're sitting here making up just to discredit Joseph Smith. No. This stuff really 
happened. But the amazing thing about uh, of this story of Zelf is not necessarily this creature they, that he called Zelf, but the lack of archaeological evidence of the Hill Cumorah, of the of the of where it is in Mormonism. Um, the, the scholars don't even agree on its location now because there's no. no evidence for the Book of Mormon. But Joseph Smith identified in this story of Zelf where the Hill Cumorah is, and he said it's um, between the Eastern Sea and the Rocky Mountains, yeah, and Hill Cumorah is in New York. He said that's where the last great battle took place. So. That's right. Well, is there any evidence of that battle? No. No. No great or small battle or no, no evidence no, whatsoever no, no of no the battle. No swords or chariots or anything else. Yeah, Joseph Smith said that Zelf was killed during the last and great struggle of the Lamanites and the Nephites. And Mormon, in the Book of Mormon, chapter 6, tells us that the final battle was at Hill Cumorah. So and that's in New York. Unless that was a couple of hundred mile... Uh, event. <laughs> so why don't they put the in, in the Book of Mormon, why don't they put pictures of where the Hill Cumorah is, like the Bible puts pictures where, um, where they, their things are. I don't know for sure. For that, <laughs> they, they can't say. Now Pyra, Palmyra is 250 miles from Kirtland. Okay. How could Zelf be killed in <laughs> Illinois and be <clears throat> part of that last final battle that took place at the Hill Cumorah? At the Hill Cumorah. Did he walk well, there he, after he was shot or killed with the arrow? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Either that or there's another Hill Cumorah, a second Hill Cumorah. But, you know, it's interesting when Joseph Smith sent missionaries to the Lamanites, he sent them to Ohio, Illinois, Missouri, those places out west. So he definitely believed that the Ind American Indians were, were the Nephites and Lamanites mm. of, of, mm. The, of the day. Mm. Which well, has, of course, been proven not to be true. So. That's that's exactly right. Well, you know, the pro the geographical problems. I mean, Zelf couldn't have walked there no, if he was killed no, in the battle. There'd been no reason to carry him anywhere. And, and uh, well, it, no one survived. Yeah. Isn't that what it says? Doesn't none it say of the Nephites. No, none of them yeah. survived the battle. Yeah. And then finally, with Joseph Smith, uh, the identification of Zelf being a white Lamanite witnesses that Joseph Smith was a racist. He said he was white because the curse had been broken, at least in part. That's what Joseph Smith said, which of course is the curse of dark skin, confirming the Book of Mormon, teaching that dark skin is a result of unrighteousness, and they will turn white with righteousness. Third Nephi, chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Do you want to do that sure. one? Sure. And it came to pass that those Lamanites who had united with the Nephites were numbered among the Nephites, and their curse was taken from them, and their skin became white like unto the Nephites. That happened back and forth during the Book of Mormon. Days. Uh -huh. yeah. yeah, it's all over in the Book of Mormon. Yeah. The, the white is, yeah. is righteousness and dark skin is, yeah. is wickedness. And, and Zelf was, was uh, and, and Joseph Smith said that when he, he identified Zelf. Yeah. So he, and, and, and there's no excuse that Joseph Smith was a product of a racist environment. Um, and that's not acceptable at all because God's men are on the side of truth. Yeah. And God never cursed Cain or the Lamanites, or anyone with dark skin. That's ridiculous. Okay, so that is the Kinderhook Plates and Zelf. We're about halfway through the show. We're about ready to open up the phone lines. We've got more to go, uh, but uh, we'd like to, to invite our viewers to uh, call in and make your comments or 
ask your questions if you'd like to share in the program. Our phone number is 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. And while we're waiting for the calls to come in, we do have our message to share with you. Polygamy, What Love Is This? Broadcasting live from Salt Lake City, Utah. This program is the broadcast outreach of A Shield and Refuge Ministry. Shield and Refuge is a point of first contact for Mormon fundamentalists who question the doctrines of the religion or who are actively seeking for an opportunity to escape the polygamist lifestyle. Examining the claims of fundamentalist doctrine against the backdrop of biblical truth is central to our efforts. We invite you to contact us. Call toll-free at 877-425-9993 or email us at tv at aboutpolygamy.com. We want you to know that we have made available to you some outstanding resources free of charge. You will find them at our website, www.whatloveisthis.tv. There you will find the DVD, Lifting the Veil of Polygamy, which documents the real-life stories told firsthand of those who were lifted out of the culture of polygamy through the power and love of Jesus Christ. Also, free of charge to you is the booklet, Is Polygamy Biblical? It explores plural marriage in the context of God's Word and answers questions like, Did God ever command polygamy? Is it part of God's plan? While you are at our website, make sure to take advantage of the archived episodes of this program, which can stream on demand directly to your computer. There are more than 100 shows to choose from. And if someone you know is unable to view this program via live broadcast, recommend that they visit this same website every Thursday at 8 p.m. Mountain Time to watch this show through live streaming video. Simply follow the links to the live streaming video page. If you are watching live tonight, we invite you to call us as we open our phone lines. The number is 801-973-TV20. That's 801-973-8820. Now, back to Polygamy, What Love Is This? with our host, Doris Hansen. Welcome back to our show, Polygamy, What Love Is This? I'm your host, Doris Hansen, the co-host, uh, uh, Bishop Earl Erskine is here, and we're sharing uh, some of the interesting on-the-spot <laughs> revelations that Joseph Smith had um, in his early days, and uh, of course proving that they were spurious uh, and that he actually really could not translate ancient documents. Uh, we did the Kinderhook plays, talked about them, and, and they were proven to be uh, a hoax. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, we just got through talking about Zelph the Lamanite and uh, how he got killed in the final great battle, 260 miles away from the battle. Uh, we have more to go, but we have an off-the-air question right now for Earl. Not sure what this question is. Yeah, the question is, what is Temple Oath disowning apostates? And I'm not sure exactly what they're trying to say. There are oaths in the temple about revealing the goings-on of the temple and that there'd be judgment and punishment for that. Uh, I, I don't know of an oath disowning apostates, so I'm not sure exactly if maybe someone could call or a person could call back and clarify the question. Okay. And I also would like to mention that last week we had a pre-recorded interview on, on, uh, for the show uh, of two girls that had escaped from the Kingston Polygamy Group uh, a while back. 
and of course because it was pre-recorded we could not take phone calls uh, if you if anybody has watched the show and have uh, comments or questions that you would like to call in tonight and ask about certainly feel free to or email if I can answer the question then I can take it to one of the ladies that was interviewed and if you haven't seen that interview you need to you can go on our website whatloveisthis.tv and click on June 13th show um, and it'll break your heart but you need to hear it so uh, give us a call if you have any questions or of course you can always email us now another on-the-spot spurious identification of ancient history <laughs> took place on the north bank of the Grand River in Davis County, Davies, I guess you say it, County, yeah. Missouri. After coming across some ruins, Joseph Smith said, quote, This is the valley of God in which Adam blessed his children, and upon this very altar, Adam himself offered up sacrifices to Jehovah. This place is Tower Hill, and at its feet we will lay out a city which shall be called Adam Adi Amon. Here Adam, the Ancient of Days, shall come to visit his people. He shall sit on the throne of fiery flame, as predicted by Daniel the prophet, with thousand thousands ministering unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand standing before him. This is History of the Church and Doctrine and Covenants. A brief History of the Church is all documented very well. So, Adam lived in Missouri? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> The Bible is very clear where the Garden of Eden was, identified by two rivers. The Tigris and Euphrates River. And the River. Euphrates River. Right. And by the way, I thought I would do some checking. Um, and Joseph Smith's translation, don't know how many of you are familiar with this, but this is where he decided he would retranslate the Bible to suit himself. And in that, in Genesis chapter 1, where it talks about the Garden of Eden, he has identified where Adam lived. And Adam lived uh, in a place where there was the Euphrates River and the Tigris River, and he even mentioned Ethiopia. Okay? Wow. Now that's in Joseph Smith's translation. So how could it be in Missouri? Good question. And Adam's not the Ancient of Days. Joseph Smith and Brigham Young both taught that he was, but it's God who is the Ancient of Days, and that goes in with Brigham Young's teaching that Adam was God. Probably added to that uh, theory or co his concept that Adam was God. Yeah. Right, and, and, and Daniel uh, never did prophesy that Adam was going to sit on a fiery throne, so Joseph Smith lied. Um, again, proving that he was a false prophet like his mother confirmed that he could tell tall tales. Um, <laughs> one of his linguistic buffas is illustrated in the story of the Greek Psalter. We're going to let Earl tell you the story of the Greek Psalter. Oh, <laughs> well this was a book of Psalms that a, a, a Henry Caswell Episcopal minister brought to uh, Joseph Smith. Now he knew that this was Greek and he knew what it said. Mm -hmm. And he said to Joseph, um, he handed the book, well, I think I have a quote, or we have a quote up here. I handed the book to the prophet and begged him to explain its contents. He asked me if I had any idea of its meaning. I replied that I believed it to be a Greek Psalter, which again is the book of Psalms from the Bible, but that I should like to hear his opinion. No, he said, it ain't Greek at all, except perhaps a few words. What ain't Greek is Egyptian, and what ain't Egyptian is Greek. This book is very valuable. It's a dictionary of Egyptian hieroglyphs, hieroglyphics. And um, 
do we have the pointing to the capital letters at the commencement of each verse he said them figures is Egyptian hieroglyphics and then which follows is the interpretation of the hieroglyphics written in the reformed Egyptian those characters is like the letters that was engraved on the golden plates well this gentleman apparently prophet left the room Caswell turned triumphantly to the men present and this included Willard Richards, and exposed the trick, and they appeared confounded for a while, he wrote, but at length Willard Richards said, sometimes Mr. Smith speaks as a prophet, sometimes as a mere man. If he gave a wrong opinion respecting the book, he spoke as a mere man, hmm. uh, which is awfully convenient. It, I it, guess. Is, it is awfully convenient, yeah. uh, but he's, he's supposed to be speaking as a prophet, uh, we understand, and... Um, the, and these incidents speak for themselves, I think. Well, they do, because Joseph had this, I mean, he had done the same thing with the book of Abraham. He said that he translated it. And so anytime they were finding these things and people were wanting to trick him, which they did very successfully, that he would, uh, and he would jump right on it and come up with these spontaneous explanations of what things were without really knowing what the truth was. And, and what's interesting about false prophets uh, is time is their enemy. Time is the enemy of every false prophet yeah. because time marches on and will prove them to be a false prophet and that's what's happened with the book of Abraham. We've discovered that that yeah. papyrus. We've discovered the Kinderhook plates were, were fake. We know that Adam was not in Missouri. All of those things, you know, it's just yep. just absolutely true. So these incidents speak for themselves and, and in agreement uh, with Grant Palmer, we want to end this discussion with one of his quotes and this is what he said. There is a difference between an isolated incident and a pattern. The Greek Psalter, the Book of Abraham, the Kinderhook plates, and some would add the Book of Mormon, DNA evidence, and Anachronisms, lack of archaeological, anthropological, cultural, linguistic, and metallurgical evidence to support claims reveal a disturbing pattern in Joseph Smith's methods and perhaps his character. The testimony of his mother about his ability to spontaneously make up stories about ancient inhabitants of the Americas and the story he made up about Zelf the white Lamanite while on the Zion's camp march to Missouri are consistent with this pattern. He seemed unable to resist the opportunity to appear as an expert whether he was qualified to offer expert analysis or not. This pattern of deception can also be seen in his tendency to use prevarication to cover up his polygamous activities. It raises serious questions in those who are fair-minded and objective about Joseph Smith's believability and credibility. And we do add a solemn amen to Palmer's conclusions. And again, we urge those who are following Joseph Smith's command to practice polygamy. You do not need to fear to displease God by walking away from it. You can do that because polygamy is not from God, it's from Joseph Smith. And all, um, any man who makes the claims that Joseph Smith made, uh, they all need to be proven, they've all been proven, proven false, and they don't need to be recognized as a spiritual leader, a prophet, or a revelator. So give us a call if you're interested. We will do everything that we can um, to help you. Uh, we do have a bibliography of where we got this information. If you want to check it out, we urge you to check it out. Um, we, the facsimiles of the plates that we showed are in the History of the Church, Volume 5. We got some of our information from mormonthink.com, utlm.org, mrm.org. Uh, 20 Truths Info, Mormon uh, Kinderhook, and rfmorg.wordpress.com, and so on. 
uh, so you can find the information there. Our phone lines are open. We'd be happy to take some telephone calls. Looks like we got some calls waiting. Okay. Um, question off the air. One family home evening lesson teaches about honesty. How can the church teach honesty, uh, teach <laughs> honesty when it's all built on lies? You know, it, it is tough, and you were mentioning uh, time is the is really against a false prophet and changes. It just seemed like Joseph Smith, he probably was unaware that he had said those things in his Joseph Smith translation when he found the skeleton of Zelf and had really not able to coordinate those two things. So that's the problem with not telling the truth. You mm -hmm. have to remember what you said. Right, so, so you have to cover up and cover yeah. up, and there have been decades yeah. and, and a, lot of that. a lot of years of cover up. Okay, Mike from Cottonwood is calling. Hello, Mike. Yes, this is uh, Mike. Okay, Mike, you're on the air. What's your question? Yes, I heard about 10 minutes ago that... Uh, battle all right yeah well the, the the actually the mormons have martyred him made him into a martyr he really wasn't martyred do the polygamists believe he was martyred oh of course Carth they hold oh, him yeah. in higher esteem so than the mormons I, that's do. just my 64 years in mormonism that comes out there i mean he he did shoot so it was somewhat of a gun battle but it's always considered that he and hiram were martyred yeah that's, so that's, that's why the, i use that phrase yeah it, it's that's not really martyred him is that correct it, he wasn't really martyred. It wasn't really truly a martyrdom, no. He, he was killed. Uh, he didn't go to his lamb to slaughter like they, like they claim he was. It was a gun battle, and, and no one's saying that he shouldn't have defended himself. That's okay. But it, it, let, let's tell the truth about how it happened rather than turning it into something it wasn't. Yeah. So the historians really, uh, <laughs> they, don't, they don't get it, right? No, they don't get it. But most of them know that they are covering up, and that's the sad part about it. They just need to be telling the truth. Yeah, okay. Hey, appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. You did a great job. Thank you. Thank you very much. Good night. Okay, we have Brian calling from Bountiful. Hello, Brian. Yes, I was just wondering if the, if the dark-skinned people are punished for what they did. Why, God, why didn't God still do that? It doesn't make sense. That is a good question. Every time somebody's convicted of a crime, their skin doesn't turn color. No, that only happened to the Lamanites and the Nephites, I guess. Uh, that's kind of a tricky thing there. That's an awesome question. Yeah, Thank you good. for calling. You're welcome. <laughs> Bye. Give us something to think about fresh there. Okay, Carolyn is calling from Parowan. Hello, Carolyn. Carolyn. You need to turn your volume down. Hello. Carolyn? Carolyn? Hello. Turn your volume down, please. Okay, it's down. Okay, you're on the air. You're on Hello. the air. Uh, Carolyn, you're on the air. Would you ask your question, please? Oh, I'm sorry. Um, I left Mormonism, and they, my family considers me an apostate. And they cannot have anything to do with me because they told me they took an oath in the temple. Oh, and that if they did a, 
associate with me that they would be in jeopardy is not to go back to the temple or they could lose <clears throat> their membership. And I'm wondering, what do they say in the temple about that? Carolyn, it's not that. It's the question that you're asked to get your temple recommend. It asks you if you support or uh, affiliate with any groups who are um, apostate. I, I actually could say the words if I had a moment. Uh, but uh, from the actual question for your Temple Recommend interview, and the question then is, if they affiliate with you, then they can't answer that question honestly. And what's kind of interesting is that there have been some gay situations, and I won't get into all that, but just where people have good friends who are uh, gay, and they have trouble answering that question as well. Hmm. Do you associate or affiliate or support any groups who don't, who don't practice doctrines approved by the church, something like that? And so, of course, a gay person is an active gay Boy, person. Boy, Jesus would never make it in the temple, He wouldn't would he? make it into the temple, no, because he, he, he does affiliate with people uh, who don't He fraternized with prostitutes and with drunkards and with yeah. tax collectors and all kinds of sinners. So, Carolyn, it isn't the, in the temple, I don't believe, is where that question's coming, coming from. It's, uh, or their concept, it's, it's from the temple recommend question. And I think, I think any bishop, I think anyone would tell them that that doesn't apply and that you should show love to your family for sure and, and to all men really. But, uh, and you're not, they're not supporting you necessarily. They're not affiliating with you other than being family. So I don't know, that may, may be more difficult than the, the no. question, but no. that's where it's coming from, I think. Well, Carolyn, we're sorry they, to hear that. It, are it's, they threatened about losing their membership? or Well, just that they, they would have we trouble. We can't go to the temple anymore if we associate with you. So. Well, that's what, they're, that's what they're trying to have to answer that question. Uh, if they're affiliating with you, can they answer that to the bishop? And uh -huh. I, I mean, if, if they love you, and uh, I mean, I don't know your relationship. Well, they, but, they won't even talk to me. It's total, total well. abandonment, which is okay because now I have Christ. <laughs> Good but for I you. Think that is just so odd that they would be threatened so heavily, you know, in that organization that they would kick a mother, a grandmother, an aunt, a sister, you know, out of the family entirely. You can't even talk to us. You can't see the kids. You're done. Well, one of the real problems with Mormonism is that they tell you what to wear, how much you have to pay to get to heaven, what you can Fine. eat, what you can drink, what you can read, yeah, what you shouldn't read. Yeah, I was the Mormon for 60 years. <laughs> yeah, and in this case, so, they yeah. te they're then telling they're you... They're telling okay, you... I just wanted to clarify that. Thank you for your time. Yeah. Thank you for Thanks, calling, friend. Carolyn. And they tell you who in your family you can affiliate with. That's pretty sad. It is, it is sad. Yeah. And there's, I mean, they don't have any more confidence in their truth. The church just has a hard time standing up to scrutiny. I would to, like somebody to give me some Bible verses of, uh, that backs up and, and supports their decision to do this kind of thing. In fact, yeah. the opposite is true. If you look through and study just the Gospels, just yeah. where Jesus was walking the earth, and, and study what he taught, there is no way that he would ever condone that kind of treatment. Well, it became so clear to me, and I, I have to admit, I was blind and deceived for 64 years, but once it started opening up, it crumbled quickly, and I could really feel like I could understand and see the truth and the true gospel and who God mm -hmm. is and the love He has for all of us. It, it, it's just sad to see my family and other friends and family that are still 
in bondage and the polygamists mm -hmm. are the it's polygamists even another are, level of it is another level totally and and they are some of the polygamy groups are worse if, if you can get worse than that <laughs> they are worse they just uh, in the interview that we did last week one of the girls said that they they tell their family their brothers and sisters their siblings they cannot contact them they cannot con uh, talk to them um, they you will lose your siblings forever and then they'll some of them will even place blame on the siblings if they leave yes, Warren Jeffs place blame on the parents if the children went wrong and they and he said that if the children go wrong then the parents will not be uh, exalted it's their fault that the children do wrong and, and of course that's placing the guilt, guilt. that's yeah. just what intertwining that yeah. into that spider's web and it's it's just ugly and yeah. it isn't from God none of it is my yoke is easy my burden is light yeah yeah, yeah. and how and you know I just had come across this I thought I'd quickly say uh, they ask why we do what we do. This is one reason. We want, we want them to know the truth. But in Colossians 3.9, it says, don't lie to each other. Well, we just talked about the lies and the deceit yeah. uh, that the, the, the church itself, the, the polygamy groups are just as guilty. Ephesians 4.25, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully. <laughs> so speak truthfully, you leaders of the Mormon church and the polygamy groups. Tell the truth. Proverbs 30, verse 8, keep falsehoods and lies far from me. Psalm 119, I hate and abhor falsehood. Proverbs 13:5, the righteous hate what is false. Psalm 101, no one who practices deceit shall dwell in God's house. And Psalm 119:30, I have chosen the way of truth. So I think all that kind of fits into um, what we've been talking about. Well, I, I think it's so interesting that in the last 30, 40 years, the Dead Sea Scrolls, the papyrus being found, um, even these tests on this Greek Psalter or the Kinderhook plates and all these things, it's almost like God saying, you know, I'm trying to give you, I don't want to slap you in the face and, and really, but I'm giving you all this information. I'm trying to share with you. They even found Joseph's handwritten version of the first vision where he said he only saw one person and, mm -hmm. and he didn't have the Satan experience and all that. It, it's just kind of like um, I'm just uh, I'm God saying I'm trying to give you this information if you'll just look. If you'll just listen, if, if you'll, you'll just, just look. Yeah. And, and he said in, in 1 Thessalonians 5.21, test everything and hold on to the good. Yeah. And in Acts 17.11 where Paul said the Bereans were noble, noble people. This is what God thinks is noble. Search the scriptures daily to make sure these things are true. And when he said scriptures, he meant the Bible. That's the only true scriptures. Search the Bible daily to see if what you're being taught is true. And if you don't do that, you're disobeying God. And again, it's your eternity. You're the one that has to answer to God on the day of judgment of why you followed a false prophet and didn't trust Jesus. Yeah, and hypocrites, that, that always struck me so so much in the Bible. Jesus was such, such against hypocrites. And, and as I started learning these new things, I felt like I really couldn't, uh, couldn't sit there and be a hypocrite anymore. Sit under the no hypocritical one th teachings No anymore. one thing and, and say another. It, it just doesn't yeah, work. Yeah, that's right. Okay, well, that's, uh, that's our show for tonight. <laughs> we had a little bit more to share, but we can do that on another night. Um, 
So my closing comments, are you going to follow someone who got it wrong all the time or will you follow, choose to follow Jesus who got it right 100% of the time? You know, it's amazing uh, with such shameful evidence as we've talked about tonight of Joseph Smith's deceptions that hasn't completely destroyed trust in his claims. But sadly, most people who embrace Joseph Smith have no idea of the evidence that proves he was a fraud. And amazing that those who do know about them will bury their head in the sand and pretend it isn't true. Since Joseph Smith is a proven false prophet, we can know that polygamy is also a false doctrine. That means that all polygamists can fearlessly walk away from Joseph Smith and his doctrine of polygamy and seek the truth in Jesus Christ alone. When Jesus first began calling his disciples, he called Nathanael in John 1:47, and he said of him, Behold an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Well, guile means trickery. We cannot say that about Joseph Smith. He lied. He cheated. He was an adulterer. And yet this culture holds him in higher esteem than Jesus Christ sometimes. The trouble remains that there is so much guile about Joseph Smith that his followers don't know about and will probably never know unless they have enough integrity and want to know the truth. But most people will continue in their blissful ignorance because they've been taught, even threatened, to embrace blind obedience rather than reasonable, historical, and biblical facts. And one fact is the road to eternal life is narrow and few will find it. Are you looking for it? Jesus said, I am the way. So you need to seek him and let everything else go. Good night. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.